Well, the sermon text for this morning is from 2 Samuel 22. We'll be looking at uh, the very end of it, 44 through 51. 2 Samuel 22, 44 through 51. Either just listen or read along to this portion of God's Word. You have also delivered me from the contentions of my people. You have kept me as head of the nations. A people whom I have not known serve me. Foreigners pretend obedience to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me and brings down peoples under me. Who also brings me out of my enemies. You even lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations. And I will sing praises to your name. He is a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. As we look at the, at the world around us, we, we certainly could be quick to notice that, that presidents and, and Congress and judges uh, even under the best of circumstances, are, are imperfect and inconsistent and unpredictable. And, uh, for that matter, they're always changing hands. Uh, policy changes when different people are elected, when, when different judges are elected or appointed, different members of Congress are appointed. It's always changing. And that could be caused... Of course, in some cases for joy, and in some cases for, for sadness. But one of the things that we find as we work our way through this uh, chapter uh, 22 in Psalm 18, which is uh, the Psalter version of it, is that uh, over and above it all, uh, Jesus Christ is King. And His administration does not change. And his decisions are perfectly consistent and just and holy. And so no matter of the changes that we see in, in government from year to year and decade to decade, down here, uh, we can rest assured that, that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning and he is carrying out his perfect plan in this world. And in the end, it will be his kingdom. That, uh, that has the victory. And let's see that as we work our way through. First, uh, delivered from enemies and made head of the nations in verses 44 through 46. Now last week, uh, we continued our look at, chat, at this chapter as we focused on verses 32 through 43. And there we noted once again that this song, uh, although written by David to praise the Lord for, for all that he had done for him as he looked over the course of his life, is primarily a messianic song. 
David speaks prophetically in it about his promised greater son, Jesus Christ, who alone fulfills what is spoken of in these lyrics. In verses 1 through 20, we saw David look back on the Lord's greatness and power as he brought David through many dangers and difficult times by his grace. We saw how that was fulfilled perfectly in Jesus, who suffered for us to save us from our sins. In him we have a Savior who knows our struggles and our pain, uh, who never leaves us, and who has redeemed us. In verses 21 through 31, David wrote of the purity and sinlessness of the singer of this song, and how the Lord rewarded him for this by delivering him from his enemies. And we saw that this was not David writing about himself, for he knows that he is an imperfect and sinful man. It was him speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ in these lyrics, as Jesus fully obeyed all of God's laws, and God the Father raised him from the dead, validating his perfect life and sacrifice. It is by the covering of Jesus' righteousness and by his sacrifice that believers are saved, by God's grace alone. And then we are enabled to grow in godliness. In verses 32 through 43, we saw David write of how the Lord gave him a protection from his enemies, as well as strength and power to have victory over them. That had its fulfillment in Jesus, who won the victory over sin and death and the devil. And as we are in union with Jesus by trusting faith, we share in those victories. We are forgiven of sin, and we are no longer slaves to it. We have eternal life, and the sure promises of the resurrection of the, our bodies when Jesus returns. And we have been set free from the dominion of Satan to serve and follow Jesus. In today's verses, we, we come to the conclusion of the psalm, which tells there in this final section of the victory and dominion that the Lord gave David, so that the borders of Israel expanded and, and nations submitted to him. But we find its ultimate fulfillment in the kingship of Jesus, the Messiah, who rules over the nations with an unending reign. And he will one day bring all the nations of the world into his salvation and his service. We begin with verses 44 through 46, which, which focus on the king's expansion of his kingdom. And yet our verse 44 starts off with David's praise to the Lord for delivering him from enemies from within Israel. He rejoices in verse 44 of how the Lord delivered me from the contentions of my people. David experienced much opposition and violence from his, his fellow Israelites, including, as we've learned, our, as we've worked our way through, rebellions and refusals to recognize his kingship. And many tried to kill him over the years, but the Lord had kept him safe. Remember how even as a young man, a, a musician playing music in Saul's house, that the king himself twice tried to kill him with a spear. Later on, Saul chased David with his armies, seeking his life. 
After Saul's death, the king's son Ishbosheth, uh, aided by Abner, rejected David's anointing by God and, and declared himself king of Israel. And that led to a long civil war. And years later, David's son Absalom led his own rebellion against his father David and sought his life. And these rebellions had varying supports of, of, of the populace of Israel. Many fellow Israelites opposed David over the years. David knew rejection and hatred and violence from his own countrymen. Yet in an even more profound way, David's greater son, Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, was also opposed by his fellow Israelites. And as God the Son, who became also fully man to, to save a people from their sins, he was rejected by mankind generally as well. We're told of Jesus in John 1 and 1 that where he is called the Word, that he is fully God who became also fully man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became one of us. He humbled himself for our sins. And yet even though the Lord has set apart the Jewish people uh, to, uh, to reveal himself to, to, uh, to bring a Messiah through that people, the, Mes the Messiah would come as a Jew. And they had advanced notice of this. Sadly, they rejected him and attacked him during his public ministry. John 1, 10 and 11 say, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. The Gospels tell of how the Pharisees, the theological conservatives of the day, opposed Jesus. And the Sadducees, the theological liberals of the day, opposed Jesus. And the chief priests and the scribes and others in influence and power opposed Jesus. Mark 3 and 6 says, the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians as to how they might destroy him. And Matthew 27 and 1 says, When the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. They conspired to have him killed by the Romans. And you'll recall that when Pilate, the, the Roman governor, asked the Jewish people if they wanted Jesus to be set free for the Passover, we read this in Mark 15. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do to him whom you call king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. As the prophet Isaiah 
had prophesied centuries earlier in Isaiah 53. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. It was by God's plan and promise, however, that this opposition and rejection would lead to Jesus' death. Jesus' deliverance from his enemies would come not by his being rescued from being put to death, but by his being resurrected from the dead. Peter preaches to his fellow Jews who shouted crucify him and tells them that God the Father raised Jesus from the grave. In Acts 2, Peter says, This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again. Jesus had victory over and deliverance from his enemies in this extraordinary way. He laid down his life, going to the cross to take the wrath of God due to his people for their sins upon himself. God the Father sent God the Son to be our Savior. We're told in 1 John 4 and 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. But God the Son agreed to come. And He agreed to lay down His life for us. Jesus says in John 10, I am the Good Shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus knew that he would be opposed and killed, and yet he did this willingly for our sake, to save us from our sins. <coughs> In his earthly life, he fully obeyed all of God's laws, which we failed to do. And on the cross, he took the wrath which was due to us for our sins. And after three days in the grave, God the Father raised him up and seated him at his right hand. And all those who trust in Jesus Christ's person and work alone are, are forgiven by his sacrifice, are, are justified by the covering of Jesus' righteousness and are eternally reconciled to the triune God. Romans 4 tells us, Righteousness will be credited to those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of the, the opposition Jesus faced from the visible church in his day reminds us that sadly there continue to be some in the visible church who oppose Jesus. Our friend Gordon Kenny Gordon writes, it has been largely the work of those who outwardly were the Lord's people 
but who are inwardly opposed to the Lord and to his gospel. Jesus' half-brother Jude warns us in Jude 3 and 4, Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now we need to be on the alert for, for false teachers inside the church, those who deny or distort the essentials of the gospel or the word of God. Paul warned believers in Galatia about the false gospel of the Judaizers in Galatians 1. And Paul warns the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Yet by God's grace and power, Jesus Christ is indeed King and Head of the Church, and He will keep it secure even from those inside who oppose Him in the truth. He will protect and preserve His Church through all generations. Jesus promises in Matthew 16, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Well, in the remainder of verse 44, David sings, You have kept me as head of the nations. A people whom I have not known serve me. Now, David was enabled by the Lord to protect Israel from enemies around them. But David did not become the head of the nations. Here is a prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He alone is the head of the nations of the earth. After Jesus' resurrection, God the Father placed him at his right hand, where Jesus sits on the throne of David and rules over creation. Ephesians 2 tells us, God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and power and dominion, and over every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and made him head of all things for the church. Now that was promised long ago. And it is fulfilled in Jesus. The Old Testament prophecies uh, that look to that give us an even fuller picture of what that means. It was promised, for example, in Isaiah 9. Of the Messiah, it is said there, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Another promise is given in Daniel 7. To the Son of Man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. David's kingdom was limited. And David died ending his reign 
But Jesus is the promised Son of Man. He is the risen Messiah, the risen Son of David, who lives forever and who reigns forever. And His dominion is over all peoples and all nations and men of every language forever. We are promised that the nations will be brought to faith and repentance and come to loyally serve Him. And Daniel 7 tells us as well that His kingdom will not end. It will not be overtaken. It will not be destroyed. The Scriptures tell us that the Lord Jesus does indeed control who rules over all of the nations and that those who oppose or reject Him and His rule are subject to His judgment. Psalm 2 says, Therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. While these sorts of images are, are very vivid, we want to clarify that the kingdom of God does not grow and extend by the threat of violence uh, as does Islam. It grows as the Lord Jesus sends out His church with the free offer of the gospel. And He then builds up His people in discipleship and growth whence they are saved by His grace. As Jesus says in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the gospel grows by the proclamation of the gospel as, as the Holy Spirit blesses that and uses it to save many. Paul is careful to, to tell us that we seek kingdom growth by bringing people under the truth of the Word of God. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And ultimately, the scripture says that the gospel will come to dominate the world. And the kingdom of God will, will grow and extend as, as peoples and nations are brought to faith and repentance. Notice in our verse, the king says, A people whom I have not known serve me. The people of the nations, who in David's day were outside of the kingdom are now, uh, since Christ's resurrection, being brought into the kingdom. The Father promised Jesus in Isaiah 49 and 6, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And we see this being fulfilled down through the ages and even in our day. In Revelation 5, we're told of Christ. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Theologian A.A. A. Hodge writes, 
The scriptures, both of the Old and New Testament, clearly reveal that the gospel is to exercise an influence over the human family, immeasurably extensive and more thoroughly transforming than any it has ever times past. This end is to be gradually attained through the spiritual presence of Christ in the ordinary dispensation of providence and ministrations of his church. And so we have that wonderful promise of God's word. Then in verses 45 and 46, David writes, Foreigners pretend obedience to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling out of their fortresses. Now, in David's, in David's uh, time, when David would win a victory over foreign powers, many would, of the defeated people would give, give uh, pretend or feigned or fake obedience out of fear, not out of sincerity. They're a defeated people, right? And so they, they do what needs to be done. But here we have a picture in its fulfillment of those in the church who are part of the church but have never actually trusted in Jesus for salvation. They, they play the part, but are not truly repentant or, or sincerely one of His. And so uh, the, the, uh, the question then comes that, that we are not to, to be those who are merely in the church, but are to be those who trust in Jesus and in the gospel, and know the salvation offered in him. Hebrews 4 tells us, Therefore let us fear, while a promise remains of entering his rest, if any of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And with that said, the overall tone and promise of 44 through 46 is one of encouragement and, and optimism and hope. Jesus was delivered from his enemies, delivered from death. And he is at the Father's right hand, expanding the kingdom to cover the earth. Well, second, the everlasting kingdom in 47 through 51. And here the psalm closes with praise to the Lord and a reminder of the Lord's deliverance of the king from his enemies and a rejoicing in the fact that the Messiah's kingdom is everlasting. In verse 47, David praises the Lord, proclaiming, The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Uh, the Lord, uh, the eternal I Am, the covenant God of Israel, is the one and only living God. David rejoices in how the Lord has been active as well in his life. By saving him, by growing him, by protecting him, by strengthening him, by blessing him in countless ways over the years. And David says that the Lord has been his rock, his safety, and his security. During Jesus' time on earth, his glory as God was, was dimmed 
and he was under assault from the devil and from wicked men. Yet the Father was a rock to him as well, a source of fellowship and strength and security. It is interesting to look at the Gospels and see how often in difficult times Jesus went to pray to his Father for the strength that he needed. In Luke 6, just to pick one example, Jesus healed on the Sabbath and the Pharisees were, quote, filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. And Jesus responded in this way in Luke 6 and 12. He went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And so the Father was a, a rock to him, an encouragement. And while Jesus for sure did not need salvation in the spiritual sense, the Father certainly saved him from various threats and was a constant source of encouragement in the hard things of life. And he enabled Jesus to, uh, to fulfill the task that he was given. In verse 48, David praises the Lord for how he executes vengeance for him and brings peoples down under him. Uh, in David's rule, the, the Lord gave victory over hostile enemies such as the Philistines and others. But in a greater sense, we see how Jesus fulfilled this as Messiah, as the kingdom expands and as people are saved out of the devil's control. In fact, we are examples of this. Colossians 1, 3 and 13 and 14 says, He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That we have been rescued from the devil, from our sins and from death. And we have been brought into the kingdom of Christ. And as we saw last time, we share in, in Jesus' victory over sin and death. That he saves us in all of the ways that we need saving. In verse 49, David writes of how the Lord rescued him from his enemies and violent men and even raised him up to rule over them. And many examples we could look at from David's life. In Jesus, we see how his enemies have pursued him. And they put him to death. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to his Father's right hand where he rules over all creation. And so, as we saw earlier, Jesus was delivered in an unexpected and extraordinary way. He was not rescued from the violence of men. He was resurrected after they had done violence so that we would be saved. Jesus willingly led himself to be put to death by violent men so that he would redeem us to himself. And what's powerful is that even the offer of salvation that Jesus achieved was, was offered back to those who conspired to kill him. Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 that, that Jesus' death did not show his weakness, but rather his strength and his purpose. And, and it, it showed what Jesus had come to do. 
He says, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, <clears throat> just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And in Acts 2, when the crowd hears this, they are pierced to the heart, Luke says. And they say to Peter and the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter replies, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And so there is hope in those words for those who do not yet belong to Jesus, that if you oppose Him, or if you're ignoring Him, or if you're denying Him in some sort of passive way, here is a reminder that the offer of forgiveness is made even to those who have rejected Him. That there is still this call to repent and trust in Him and to know the gift of salvation and eternal life in His grace. Uh, David thanks the Lord among the nations, it says, and praises Him. Pointed here of the greater fulfillment in Jesus Christ that He is King over the nations. And that's a helpful reminder. He is not merely a tribe or deity. But He is the one true God and King over all. And the salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ shall come to all the nations. And eventually all the nations will come to Him. We sing in Psalm 86, All nations whom You have made shall come and worship before You, O Lord. And they shall glorify Your name. And so this offer of salvation is to all peoples, and one day the nation shall be brought in when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And finally, David closes the psalm with these words. He is a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to David and his descendants forever. That's a great encouragement to David to know this assured covenant love the kingdom does not exist or continue to exist based on David's wisdom or David's good fortune or David's strong army. No, the king and the kingdom are established and sure because God has promised, covenanted to preserve them. In Ephesians 1, we're reminded that God Father's choosing of us for salvation and saving us in the work of his beloved Son. So as David knew God's love, God the Son knows it even more intensely as the second person of the Godhead. They have loved one another from all eternity. And so His love for us has expression 
through his love for his son, who he gave to save us. Notice the, the, uh, the love that is present in Ephesians chapter 1. The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, the great glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. And so it is in this dearly loved Son that God loves us and that God has saved us and called us to Himself. And so as David could rest in the loving kindness of God, so we rest in that same loving kindness, that committed covenant love, which has its ultimate expression in what Jesus has done for us. And David closes with a reminder of this, of, of this promise that it goes to made to David in 2 Samuel 7. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. That was fulfilled, of course, in the short term with Solomon. But in the long term, it is fulfilled only in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior and King, the risen Son of David, who is at the Father's right hand and at and on David's throne, and will never, his kingdom will never come to an end. Peter preaches in Acts 2, because David was a prophet, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did he, his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God rose up again and has been exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus is the everlasting King, and he is our forever Savior. Things in this life will change. Governments and leaders will rise and fall. Circumstances and situations will never stay the same. People will be born and people will die and nothing here lasts. But Jesus and his kingdom will continue. He will continue to rule. He will continue to keep our souls safe. He will continue to intercede for us. He will continue to grow his church. And he will continue to be with us and for us through all of life and into eternity. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you for this portion of your word and ask that you might apply it to our hearts. We do thank you for the kingship of Jesus, our risen Savior. And we thank you that he and his rule are sure in the salvation that we have in him is sure. We pray that, uh, that we would be looking to him and his kingship through all of life and rest in his rule over all things for your glorious purposes. And, and that we would trust in the sure promise 
of the extension of the kingdom to one day cover the earth. Now may we live to see it in our lifetime. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.